Good morning. My name is Len Thompson. A couple of weeks ago, Pastor Micah asked me if I would be willing to preach on the May 24th long weekend, and I checked my schedule and it was uh, free. And so he had uh, suggested a couple of options for me, and one of them was the option of going back to the Gospel of Matthew and finishing off uh, the series that he had done on various parables. And because I raise goats and sheep, uh, this was a particular interest to me because it's commonly known as the parable of the sheep and the goats. And as I've been raising goats for the last four or five years, uh, there are a number of things in Scripture that have become far more understandable for me uh, because of having close contacts with the animals and being able to understand some of the nuances of things that are stated in Scripture. And so I thought that would be a great way to go. At that time, I thought that we'd be able to meet in person and uh, hadn't really bargained for doing this online. But it's actually been quite an interesting journey and uh, I'm excited to be able to present to you this morning uh, this parable. And uh, I am uh, entitling it, Jesus' Final Evaluation, Sheep or Goats? Which one does Jesus see in you? It's rather a haunting question, but before we get, before we can answer that, there are a number of things about the text that we are going to have to understand clearly. As I began reading this text, I began to read it in different ways than I had before, and there were many, many different questions that I needed to answer, and so I began to study it in greater depth, and I've kind of distilled some of those questions into the four that are listed here, because we really will read this very differently depending on the answers that we have to these questions. Who are the nations that are specified in verse 31? Another question that was posed by one of the commentators is, what does Jesus have against goats? And uh, we needed to, I found that it was important to be able to delve into that. What would have what would Jesus' hearers have understood when they heard this um, particular teaching? And then one that really will make quite a difference in how we make an application. Who are Jesus' brothers and sisters? And then um, something that I hadn't noticed before, but the word that's used in the Greek language um, to describe goats uh, actually should be translated um, bucklings, or very young male goats. And uh, that really caused me to do some thinking about what is going on in this passage. And the answer to this really caused me to uh, view and understand this passage quite differently. And so we're going to work through each one of these questions before we actually read the text, and then I'll let the text speak for itself uh, near the end. In the text, in case you don't remember, 
Um, we have a scene set up in which a king uh, comes to judge, and uh, he is judging the nations. And so commentators are quite divided about who the nations are, and this gets rather complex uh, because very often the answer that people provide or scholars will provide will depend upon their view uh, of other passages of scripture and really in essence has to do often with uh, whatever view they have of what will happen in their eschatology uh, in other words you know are they which a view of end times do they subscribe to but I think for our purposes what probably will help us the most is just to note that this term the nations uh, ethne in Greek is really a very general term I think it probably can be seen uh, in the most general way as referring to all the people who have ever lived on the planet Earth. Um, it seems to me that when the people that heard Jesus the very first time would have seen or heard him um, give this particular teaching, uh, they wouldn't have really dialed into any particular eschatological view. Um, they would have really heard him saying that in the kingdom of heaven, when the king comes in all of his glory and is crowned the king and takes up his reign, he is going to delineate out of all the people who claim to be his citizens, he is going to make a ruling as to who really are and who really aren't. And we probably are getting way off topic if we try to um, make all of this fit into any particular eschatological viewpoint. I think it's better for us to look at this just as it was meant in the very beginning, as really for it to be the setting uh, in which Jesus was going to delineate who really were his followers and who weren't, who really would qualify as kingdom citizens and those who don't. Now, this second question, uh, what does Jesus have against goat, goats, or possibly to rephrase that, what would have come to people's minds when Jesus referred to sheep and goats, um, I think is pretty important. We need to maybe understand this clearly. And so I want to read to you what one uh, commentator um, wrote about it, and I will give you some credit for that um, later on, or give, him, give you the uh, source for that. Um, but he puts it this way, the Bible's use of goats and sheep as metaphors for Christians is beyond many of us city folk. Most of us seem to be more familiar with sheep. We hear a great deal about them in sermons. Christ is the good shepherd and we are the sheep, as taught in John chapter 10. 
We know many of the traits of sheep through studies into Psalm 23 and John 10. But our mental picture of goats is usually vague. We may think that they regularly eat soup cans and butt uns unsuspecting souls bent over to tie their shoes. We will see that the attributes of goats, however, should not be taken so lightly. And possibly one of the things that needs to be clearly understood is that in the Middle East, goats were very, very commonplace. Um, when Jesus used, chose these as animals, sheep and goats, uh, as a metaphor, um, this was something that was part of everyday experience. And unless you've been around sheep and goats, you may not really understand uh, really what Jesus might be driving at uh, in this particular parable. As a goat farmer, uh, one of the things that I've noticed in the last few years is that goats have become really quite popular uh, in certain circles. Uh, this year alone, um, we've had more demand for uh, baby bottles or bottle babies uh, than pretty much any other year. And uh, there are many, many uh, people who love to get baby goats and uh, or, you know, particularly uh, dwarf goats, uh, Nigerian uh, miniature goats. And possibly um, what comes to mind for many of us would be the images of really a pet. Uh, goats that are um, just maybe one or two at a time or a very few, uh, particularly when they're small. Um, they are a very intelligent animal. Uh, they, I've seen this happen where they even can figure out how to undo a latch on a gate so that they can open it. Uh, many other animals wouldn't be able to do that. In particular, um, baby goats are really playful. Uh, you've probably seen videos of them jumping around for joy, and uh, they are really a very, very playful um, kind of animal. Love to follow humans around. They're very, very affectionate. Um, they love to uh, crawl over you uh, so much so that um, goat yoga is something that is uh, uh, somewhat popular. The idea being that um, you um, might go to a building uh, to, you know, do some yoga and uh, they let a bunch of goat kids in and they climb all over you. And, and the idea uh, about that is that it often is uh, a show of affection. And for many people, it's uh, something that calms their um, blood pressure and things like that. And so uh, that's, you know, what might come to mind for many of us. But the problem is that goats don't really stay as uh, small and as adorable as uh, baby goat kids. Uh, they grow up. So when goats become adults, um, what are some of the things that uh, they are known for? Well, uh, 
on one particular level, goats are very, very curious. Um, and they're very, very persistent. They're always, always looking for greener grass. Uh, they are known technically as browsers. Um, they, when they enter a pasture, are always on the move. Uh, they eat a little bit, they move on, and uh, they are always getting their heads stuck in fences because they're not content to eat um, all sorts of grass that might be right before them. Uh, they're constantly looking uh, for the greener grass on the other side of the fence. Uh, another thing about goats is that uh, they love to eat tree leaves and often will um, go through a particular area um, and particularly with shrubs uh, can strip a whole area. They actually can be used to um, clear brush and to get rid of weeds and things that um, lots of other animals actually wouldn't eat. But if you happen to have trees that you want um, to survive, if they're younger, uh, they actually will come along and uh, try and climb. You may have seen pictures of goats actually climbing up into trees. Uh, they'll strip off all the tree leaves that they can get and very often, particularly with uh, poplar and willow, will strip off all the bark and uh, hazel trees and uh, even walnut trees, um, even though that isn't very good for them because there's poison in the bark. Um, but when they strip the bark off of those trees, very often uh, the trees will die within a year or two. And uh, there's often uh, a pretty significant amount of destruction um, that can be used in a positive way if you're destroying things that you don't want to have around uh, or if you uh, the goats get into certain areas, they can really create a great deal of damage. What you might say really about goats is that they are never content. Uh, they're always, always looking for uh, something better than where they are. And as the one who takes care of goats, uh, you can get somewhat, um, um, well, that can get rather thin at times. Um, because goats seem to always be uh, ready to be in one way or another on a revolt. When we first got our goats and we were preparing, we were preparing the property for them, uh, we were guided by a saying that we had read a number of times and a number of uh, people that were familiar with goats had uh, uh, confirmed and the saying was that if you can throw water through a fence a goat would be able to get through it and uh, through experience we certainly have found that uh, goats can find a weak spot in just about any fence and once one of them gets through the whole herd is right behind the first one they hate to be confined and if you try to confine a goat for all that long uh, they'll jump over or they will break through um, whatever you've used to confine them. And uh, I talked to a friend who told me that he had uh, confined a, um, a billy goat 
and uh, it had actually climbed up into the rafters of the barn uh, on its plight to or on its uh, desire to try and get out of the barn. Now once goats get free from where they've been confined they often can wander for miles and miles. I have spent many an hour chasing goats and it's kind of like pushing rope um, back to our property uh, not that long ago it was I think a five mile trek and took me the better part of a day to be able to get them back to our property um, and so you know what happens is that goats uh, become more of a pain in the neck than uh, just about any other animal now I found a video that uh, kind of portrays what can happen and uh, this particular video takes place in San Jose in California but I think it'll be uh, very clear uh, as you watch it what it's like to try to stop uh, a bunch of goats who are intent on getting free and eating everything that they can find uh, on the way to wherever they end up going. Hi, how's it going? Hey, there's some grass over here. I needed to mow. Can you just take care of that? Ben, what's going on behind you? Mayhem. Um, a ton of goats got loose. Uh, I don't know how, but it's pretty awesome. So this morning we were um, over on one of the stormwater retention ponds just about a block away and they managed to break through the fence and go on a little adventure to meet the neighbors. <laughs> it is pretty rare that they actually ever get out, um, thank goodness. Um, they're very creative escape artists sometimes and so just when you think you have all the containment figured out, they managed to find a new way that you didn't think of. <laughs> Now this next part is something that I wouldn't have believed until I began to see it. Um, goats really, um, the way that's described in some of the technical literature is that they are a herd animal with individualistic uh, tendencies. But one of the things you notice if you watch goats for very long is that at almost any opportunity um, they are fighting uh, they're headbutting and they will take any opportunity that they can to put down um, another goat so that they will get higher on the social ladder. And the fights that go on, um, you know, in a particular herd of goats can be really rather fierce. Now, that would be one thing, um, but what really began to become really very um, heartbreaking was to see their aggressive behavior towards any goat that was beginning to get sick or was uh, in one way or another weaker. Uh, I've seen goats actually get their horns down underneath uh, the armpit of another goat and uh, push as hard as they can, or find a way to um, get that horn 
and their legs in such a way that they could actually break the leg of a weaker goat. A goat that starts to get sick um, in a herd like that uh, often really doesn't last very long uh, unless you can get it away uh, from these other goats. Uh, in other words, they are incredibly selfish. Uh, they can, well, they really do pick on anyone, any of the other goats that are um, weaker, and they take that opportunity uh, to climb the social ladder. And as we mentioned, uh, they're actually quite uncontrollable uh, when they are deciding that they're going to go uh, in a particular direction. Uh, you, as a shepherd or you know someone trying to control them, uh, often have to wait until they're done whatever it is that they are doing for at least a half an hour or so. Uh, any of you that have been to our place when the goats have gotten out, um, you know, it takes a while before you can actually uh, herd them back. It's a lot like pushing rope. Um, they seem to, at that point, uh, really uh, show their individualistic tendencies and you uh, have them going in about 15 different directions and it takes quite a while before uh, they get it into their heads that it's time for them um, to go back, you know, as a herd. Um, so, you know, I think one of the things that we need to be really clear about here in this particular parable is that this kind of behavior um, from goats would have been clearly in people's minds uh, when Jesus was teaching this particular uh, parable. Uh, goats, I think, were um, somewhat um, <clears throat> a necessary evil for people in the Middle East. Uh, they produced milk far easier than uh, sheep do, at least for human consumption. And one of the things that uh, we might uh, need to take note of that I read is that when the Promised Land was described as a land flowing with milk and honey. It probably is a reference to the fact that there were a large number of goats because uh, cattle, dairy cattle, would not have been their major um, source uh, of milk. It would have been goats. Um, and so uh, this was something that people were very, very familiar with. But they would have known that to have a whole bunch of goats around really in many ways was not something you really wanted to have and that if there was a choice between um, having more sheep or more goats uh, you were probably going to want to have sheep in terms of ease of caring for. I can't tell you how many people that I have talked to who own goats that have told me stories of them having some particular event happen in which they got so angry that the next thing that they did is they sold all of their goats. Um, and I've been at that place a number of times where I have felt like I just wanted to uh, ship them all away to the nearest um, slaughter yard and uh, actually be done with them. 
they seem to have a way of getting underneath your skin and uh, making you um, very, very angry. Uh, they are very self-serving. They seem to be unable to learn uh, because they are so self-centered. Now, I didn't show any video uh, of how bad goats are um, because it's rather disturbing and uh, it, uh, you know, I wouldn't be able to in any way put on, uh, you know, the video that uh, no goats were harmed uh, in the filming of this particular movie or uh, video. Um, but by contrast, sheep are a much gentler uh, breed of animal, um, particularly in their actions towards each other. Um, the other thing about sheep is that once you are with them, uh, once you get to know them, um, they will listen to your voice and uh, they will actually follow uh, far more readily uh, than a bunch of goats. Now, there are many things about goats and sheep that are similar. Um, and so that's why they often are um, raised together. But uh, just wanted to go through some of that background so that you understand uh, really the difference between sheep and goats. Uh, in reality, I don't think that Jesus had anything against goats. He just was... Uh, using the common understanding that people had or bringing up their um, sort of emotional response towards uh, sheep and goats when he was using um, them as metaphors uh, in this particular teaching. Now, another question that comes up as you read this um, parable or this uh, teaching of Jesus uh, that we need to answer is who is Jesus referring to when he makes the point that whatever you did to the least of these, my brothers and sisters, um, is the focal point of what would have somebody be part of the kingdom or not part of the kingdom. Now, there's three options that I've run across as uh, looking at this and probably the most common interpretation although only since uh, around 1850 is what I sort of had assumed um, was the case and that is that uh, Jesus brothers are those who care for the poor um, probably you know followers of Jesus who treat those who are um, without food, without water, without clothes, um, who uh, made sure that strangers were welcomed, uh, visited them when they were sick, visited them while they were in prison. Um, that they were probably those were probably followers of Jesus, um, caring for uh, those who were less fortunate. However, when you begin looking at some of the um, earlier uh, interpretations uh, by the church, uh, 
and also uh, taking a look at some of the uh, interpreters, some of the scholars, when they take a look, a uh, very close look at the text. Um, one of the things that you notice um, is that Matthew always refers to uh, this word brothers as those who do the will of God by becoming his followers. Uh, certainly this is a huge part of um, the dynamic when Jesus' brothers and sisters come to talk to Jesus because they thought that he was working too hard, uh, becoming too popular, and they wanted to talk him out of that. He asks the question, who are my brothers, my mother, and my brothers? And the answer that he gives as he uh, probably is pointing to the disciples is those who do the will of God by following me. And uh, D. France, in several different commentaries, makes the point that Matthew always uses this phrase, um, brothers, in referring to uh, those who do the will of God. Now there's another interpretation that is also historical and uh, this cues into the uh, phrase, uh, you visited me while I was in prison, while I was sick. Um, and the idea here is that Jesus is encouraging um, us to take particular care of those who have been um, persecuted. Uh, for instance, the thing that is said to the Apostle Paul when he met, uh, was on the road to Damascus, why have you been persecuting me is what Jesus said to him from heaven. Well, Paul had been persecuting the members of the church, but Jesus sees that as persecuting him. And uh, so there is this uh, understanding that um, maybe what's being referred to is those who have uh, persecuted Jesus um, and there is particularly this idea that Jesus takes that rather personally and uh, he sees it as being um, persecution against him. And, and so uh, there is that interpretation that those who care for uh, Christian missionaries, for clergy, uh, for those who are suffering in one way or another as a result of their um, work for the kingdom of God, uh, that that is what Jesus is referring to in this teaching. Now, I think that regardless of which option you opt for, uh, none of these go against any other teaching in scripture. Uh, and so another interpreter, uh, in fact, uh, I think it's, uh, uh, Don France uh, makes the comment that we might be able to look at this as concentric circles uh, 
um, beginning with those who have been persecuted, um, and then a bigger circle around that, all of those who are his followers, um, and then in some sense, um, those who are the poor um, are the people that ought to be cared for. Uh, we probably won't go amiss regardless of which one of these options we opt for uh, at the end. Now, another question that I found really fascinating and uh, spent a fair bit of time trying to understand uh, is that the term used for goat in this particular passage uh, is the Greek word eraphos. And it is translated as goat. And yet, uh, looking it up almost everywhere that I um, took a look and taking a look at the original Greek manuscripts, uh, it actually is the word that should be translated um, a small or a young male goat. So why would Jesus use this word? And there were a number of other words that could be used for goats in general or for a large he goat. Um, and so some of the background that really is worth taking a look at um, is <clears throat> shines a lot of light on what likely this was about. Mixed herds of both sheep and goat were common uh, at this particular time in this particular area because uh, you couldn't really have a herd of sheep um, because the pastures were not of such um, quality that they would be able to sustain uh, sheep. Um, sheep would have been the choice of that most people would have wanted both economically and also um, just for ease of being able to take care of. Um, but to have a mixed herd, uh, the sheep would be able to graze um, in the pasture areas and the goats would eat the scrub or the much more, um, the poorer um, areas, eat the weeds, the shrubs and uh, tree leaves and things like that. And uh, you could make a go of it. Now, the other side of it is that goats provided milk um, and so you kind of wanted to have uh, enough goats around for that particular purpose um, while sheep would have produced wool and an optimal ratio um, if you could make it work would have been two goats for every three sheep now archaeological evidence shows that uh, that didn't always happen um, but and there was even at times uh, ratios as high as eight goats um, per two sheep. Um, but if they could make it work, if uh, and there's actually also evidence that a great deal of the um, pasture land was uh, destroyed by overgrazing and uh, a lot of trees were destroyed, which then makes 
things much worse in a very, very hot country. Uh, the other thing that's going on is that goats reproduced uh, at that particular time uh, in the breeds that they had uh, faster than sheep. And so what could easily happen um, if you didn't really keep on top of it is that uh, because when the uh, your herd is producing, it's typically around 50% uh, uh, females and, and males that are born each year but really you as I'm sure all of you that uh, do farming know that uh, you really don't need all that many males around um, three or four might have been enough if you had a herd of around 100 uh, goats um, but uh, you know at the most you might want five or six but you sure don't need 50 goat 50 male goats and so what was really going on or what would have been happening here is that uh, you're going to be selling off as many uh, of the young kids uh, as you possibly can. Um, a lot of people don't like eating uh, older goats, but a young kid um, is a much different story. Um, even back in that time, they were far preferred uh, over an older goat. And in Palestine, and to the people that Jesus was talking to, with seven feast uh, times a year that they celebrated religiously, um, there would have been quite a few opportunities for uh, someone who kept goats and sheep to be able to take the young uh, male kids um, to market. Now the word that is actually translated uh, sheep actually literally means any four-footed tame animal accustomed to graze. Could include small cattle, um, but most commonly uh, referred to a sheep or a goat. So really what's going on here is that there's a problem in translation. What Jesus was doing is he was talking about they were being separated. The ones that are going to go to market and the ones that you're going to keep. And it's really not a parable in the end about sheep and goats. It's really a parable about which ones do you keep and which ones get sent off to market. It's not about which kind of animal they are. It's about which ones are more valuable to the shepherd. So one more thing for us to think a little bit about, and that's the context. This section, you'll remember, comes at the end of a collection of parables called the Olivet Discourse, in which Jesus answers some questions that the disciples have regarding the destruction of the temple and they wanted a sign uh, so that they would be able to distinguish uh, when the end would come. Now they had in their mind something quite different than what Jesus was actually trying to teach them uh, because they thought they were already at the end and that the Messiah was going to come. Jesus was going to be their political leader. Um, but 
in answering this, uh, the larger part of the discourse, in the latter part of it, Jesus is actually focusing on how we are to wait, how we are to prepare ourselves for the end, uh, for the, it's very eschatological, uh, and that is what we need to be thinking uh, a lot about. Uh, the other thing is that this is the climax. And uh, so this is maybe the most important thing. This is the summary of all the things that Jesus has taught, uh, possibly in the book of Matthew, um, but also uh, particularly in the Olivet Discourse. And what you'll notice as we read this is that the real focus is on Jesus coming as a supreme ruler of the kingdom of God and you might imagine him marching through in a victory sort of um, procession and now he's going to uh, determine who really are citizens in the new inaugurated kingdom of God and so I'd like to just read this passage, let it speak uh, to you, and then make just a very few comments at the end about some application. Listen now to the word of God. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep the valuable ones from the goats the ones that will be sold and he will place the sheep on his right but the goats on the left then the king will say to those on his right come you are you who are blessed by my father inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world for i was hungry and you gave me food i was thirsty and you gave me drink i was a stranger and you welcomed me i was naked and you clothed me i was sick and you visited me i was in prison and you came to me then the righteous will answer him saying lord when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink and when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you and when did we see you sick or in prison or visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Truly, I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life.
And so I encourage you to consider at least these three questions. Listen to whatever God is saying to you, but if you think that this actually is speaking about the poor and the marginalized, what have you done to care for the poor? For those who are lonely, for those who are sick, have you ever visited a prison? That's very important to Jesus. It could also be that you see that this is actually more about how we treat one another. What is your attitude towards other brothers and sisters in Christ? And, and notice that what Jesus says here is that omission, like not doing certain things, angers him. Do you do whatever you can to make sure that no brother or sister of Christ that you know of is lonely or is in need? Or possibly you think of this as caring for those who are actively engaged in proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. How do you treat missionaries? How do you treat our pastor? I can say that because uh, he's away right now, but have you ever thought about the fact that Jesus is very, very concerned about how you treat our pastor. I don't think that we could ever treat him better than we should. Uh, in other words, uh, any blessings that we could bring to those who serve Christ and make sure that they are not in need, um, is something that we ought to do. And so I encourage you, as Jesus would have proclaimed this, I suspect that the crowd would have gotten pretty quiet and there would have been a lot of internal heart searching after he delivered this teaching. And so Jesus expresses what is closest to his heart in very, very dramatic terms, in ways that I think everyone there would have understood. It's worthless to him to have people who preach well, who are doing all sorts of religious things, but aren't involved in taking care of the least of his brothers and sisters. Jesus has spoken, don't miss what matters most to Jesus. To put it in really plain terms, get on it immediately. 
is no time to waste. Make sure that you are bringing as much pleasure to Jesus as possible, that you are on the right side, that you are bringing him joy. Amen.